Hello, and welcome to the All Things Narrative podcast, where we explore the relationships between the stories we love and the stories we live. I'm your host, Derek Hatch, and let's get started. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back. We are in August, and we've got three episodes coming out this month, and so we wanted to do something a little different, and I've got some special guests here to help me do that. So, who do we got in the house today? I'll go first. <laughs> and I never go, and I never go first. <laughs> but we got Nick in the house. That's right. That's right. All right. Who else do we got? Uh, we got the new married man in the house. That's right. King Joseph of all saints. That's right. The king got the king hat on. Uh, yep. Joseph Wilson up in the house. That's right. That's right. Jason. I can't. And we have another special guest joining us. Uh, I'm Kyle, Justice for Luca Brasi Arrington. Yes. Whoa, that was a that was a clean name. I didn't feel that. But I like that. So Kyle uh, appeared way back on one of the first episodes of the All Things Narrative podcast. I think the fifth one. And we talked about your journey in becoming a screenwriter. Right. Yes. We talked about your career. You've gotten to write for television shows. You have a really, really wonderful indie film that now I've had the I've pleasure of seeing. <laughs> and I can oh. say that Dead Dad is easily one of my favorite films in terms of how you handle grief, right? Oh, thanks, man. Appreciate I that. really, really think that was something special. So, yes. So I'm very happy to have you on. Happy to be uh, here. Because we are going to talk a lot about two really, really amazing films. Both films that, is it fair to say, Kyle, are highly regarded as some of the best screenplays of all time? Yes, um, especially The Godfather, but as of late, I would say in the last two decades, No Country is absolutely considered to be one of the best, okay. especially in the genre we're discussing. Perfect. And that genre today is the crime genre. So doing something a little different for this one, instead of kind of doing this huge sweep over all different kinds of films that we've done on like fantasy and sci-fi, which I, th I think the sci-fi episode's becoming one of my favorites now. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a good I one. I was just like re-listening to it like the other day. I'm like, oh, this is this is fun. I like hearing us. I haven't listened to any of them, but I take it with <laughs> <laughs> I have to go back. I, I believe the sci-fi one was- Don't you want to relive the Tenet Inception? No, whatever is said on here, it disappears as soon as I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> He's like Woody Allen. He doesn't see his movies after he makes them. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's real. Oh, man. We're going to do something a little different for this. We're going to do an analysis of two uh, really- well-regarded stories within the crime genre. And Joe and I did this earlier in the year with The Truman Show, mm -hmm. where we kind of did a deep dive in that film. This is a little more ambitious because we're doing two films and we've got more than double the people since we did that, Joe. Double so, the power. Yeah, this is going to be really interesting. Double the crime. <laughs> These two films, I think, are really uh, significant because the last Why We Love episode, I don't know if you guys listened to it, it came out recently with me and Tori, where we talked about historical narratives, right? We right. talked about biopics, political epics, war films, different stuff like that. And so The Godfather, really, even though it's a fictional story, it kind of has a very unique perspective on American history. I've heard a lot of people say that The Godfather is the quintessential American film. And we'll kind of dive into why people say that. And then... We're going to do No Country for Old Men second. And that's an interesting one because although that does fit in the crime genre, a lot of people categorize it as a modern day Western as well, right? And spoiler alert, 
uh, Westerns is going to be our next genre episode that we do. And so that'll be kind of a good push forward to that. Yeah, that's right. Rango. <laughs> Rango and Django, it's coming, y'all. All right, so let's go ahead and dive into this. I'm gonna give a definition as I do for these genres. I've had a few people ask, these are definitions that I just come up with, but they're inspired by um, the screenwriter's taxonomy. Did you ever finish, Nick? Are you just making no, it up? I'm nope. still on the hero's journey. I haven't gotten into that one. Have you read that book, Kyle? The screenwriter's taxonomy? No, I have not. Yeah, I know mostly of it from you. Okay, cool. <laughs> it's a great book about, it's really helped me understand these genres a lot better. And so here's the definition I'm going to give uh, for the crime genre. Okay. So the crime genre explores the tension between the lawbreakers and the law keepers. Depending upon whose perspective we are given, we may be rooting for a detective, a lawyer, a sheriff, a criminal, or an antihero. Crime is often paired with a mystery, stringing us along a ride that invites us to solve the case in a timely fashion. In all crime stories, we must decide who is right, who is wrong, and whose side we are ultimately on. Can we find freedom and maintain justice in a world flooded with corruption and chaos? That's good. That's hot. Yeah. Immediately, I think of Batman. Like, oh, that's, yeah, Harvey yeah. Dent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah like absolutely. That. I thought exactly of the um, what's the movie, the ho the Long Halloween, right? Mm -hmm, that, mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh that's, yeah. Yeah. So that's like that's something that I just thought of that. <laughs> I was thinking of Harvey Dent's speech at the end of uh, the Dark Knight. When he was talking to Batman. Yeah, it's not, it's not about what I want. It's about what's fair. Mm -hmm. That one's mm -hmm. that <laughs> decent men in an indecent time. That's right. Yeah, Batman. <laughs> uh, you know, not Burton's Batman. Let's be clear here. Burton's Batman. Whoa, I don't mean it as work. a diss. I just mean like Burton's Batman is more fantasy, right? So we talked about that. That's we talked about And a lot more fun. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Nolan's Batman, for mm -hmm. example, that is very much the crime, especially The Dark Knight. That is very much a crime uh, genre film there, right? These two stories that we're going to talk about today, um, they both kind of have a very more a more cynical take on crime but i think they have a very realistic one i think that's why we're talking about is that these are two films that really resonate mm. uh with people right mm. especially as americans what our experiences are here we're gonna go ahead and dive into this and kind of do an analysis of these two great films the best we can so I'm going to start off uh, with The Godfather, and I'm going to have uh, Joseph and Nick. You guys are really going to kind of lead this conversation. Just two brothers. About, yes. That, <laughs> just two brothers. Just two brothers. <laughs> about The Godfather. The Godbrothers. The Godbrothers. The Godbrothers. <laughs> so I'm going to uh, have you guys go ahead and take it away. All right, I have a couple questions based on the crime definition. Yeah. Where is the law in The Godfather? Where is the established mm. law in The Godfather? That's interesting, right? 
I where was, is it? I was even thinking, who are the characters we're even rooting for? That was the next question. Yeah. Who are we rooting for, yeah. and where is the law being established? Well, yeah. again, remember, so first off, like, according to that definition, like, depending upon whose perspective we are given, we may be rooting for, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of crime stories, we are finding ourselves on the side of those who are committing crime, right? But the reason why, like, with The Godfather, we identify with them is... Within all crime stories, the whatever the protagonist is, there, there's some sort of moral code that they have, even if it's a criminal thing, right? So, for example, you've got Don Corleone who won't get in the drug business. It's mm -hmm. too messy. Um, and even it's interesting because even in the five families, there's like this little code of like, well, I don't want drugs like next to kids or right. I don't want it here. So Just next to even, dark people. Yeah. So even <laughs> even so even like all those who are involved with crime have some sort of moral code. Right. But of course, what we see is that not only the fear, the way that the, this family is feared, but we also begin to understand them right as a family as a unit mm -hmm. and then when we start to see this kind of war between the families that's emerging because don corleone won't go into the right he says no to that and so then all the drama that starts to ensue after that because i really think the person that we're really most supposed to connect with in the godfather is michael right michael's, i'm not sure michael's, in terms of michael's how the film brother, is introduced right? The Michael's the younger brother, right? Yeah, he's the one that eventually takes right. over. Right, okay, okay. He, yeah, so Michael is introduced. It's very interesting how he's introduced. He's introduced in a military, like, jacket, right? Mm -hmm. He's introduced with a girl who's not a part of the family, and you see all the family businesses going around, which we know is shady and not good, but we have someone who's a part of that family who's kind of like, he, he has that line where he says, like, that's not me, that's my family, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's this sense of a goodness that we identify within Michael in the beginning. And we have even this weird thing of like, well, why doesn't he interact with his family? And then you have the family picture and does she go in the picture? Does yeah. she get taken in it, right? And there's things with color symbolism and all that that's going on there as well. But then of course, you know, they, they keep talking about him being like this hero. Like, oh, he's like a war hero and stuff like that. And there's... If you've seen The Godfather, if you haven't, this is spoilers, but if you've seen The Godfather, you know that there's a tragedy that Michael Corleone faces in his life, right? That, that, that The whole Godfather story is a tragedy of how a good man loses his soul, right? And it's interesting because one of the only points where you see like someone who's supposed to uphold the law and order is that police captain, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, that's where uh, his father's in the hospital and he's afraid that someone's going to come finish him off. And there's this uh, altercation that he gets in with a police captain. And the police captain, of course, we realize is corrupted, right? So the only sense of order that you see in the entire movie is corrupt. So you're already in like this weird yeah. morally gray yeah. field with everything. And then you have this moment where the police captain punches Michael, right? Yeah. And hits him. And in that moment, Michael, again, if this is an American story, like he's he's a vet. He's somebody who's give, he's gone and tried to give his life for this country. He has a sense of 
you know, respect for authority. But now he's literally seen the corruption, right? He's seen that even those who are in charge can't be trusted. And that's when he decides to become an authority unto himself. And that's where his journey, that kind of descent really starts to kick in for him, where he starts to transition more and more uh, into the Michael he is by the end of the film. So Nick, why did you say no? No to what? You said, I don't think that he was with Michael, that he is a protagonist. Um, that's because John David Washington is the protagonist. In oh ten. my God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, Had to get one in. Take a shot. Um, no, I'm still thinking about how this movie is playing out. And if Michael is the main perspective we're following, then I think the law is established by Don Corleone. Yeah. And so yeah. Michael is now struggling to fit into that law that under, yeah. under yeah. his father. And yeah. his father seems to establish the law throughout all of society. Yeah. Right, so I wouldn't right. say I wouldn't say the police is the the uh, f the form of order that the movie is showing. Mm -hmm. I think Don Corleone is the order yeah, of that's this fair. entire that's universe. Fair. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, because the whole universe is corrupt. And yeah. so mm -hmm. he is now the central anchor to it all. Yeah. And Michael is like I doesn't know where he stands in all this and yeah. he's not wanting to stand in it. Mm -hmm. Um so then I guess the next question is what is the the law under Don Corleone according to him? Mm. How has he established the law in this movie? And I think the first scene is the best scene in the movie. Mm -hmm. The first like twenty minutes, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the first interaction with uh, the guy coming for justice for so, his yes, wife yes, or daughter yeah. is uh, maybe the most important scene in the whole movie. I, yeah, I, yeah. Yep. Where he says we're not. Well, we're not just killers. Well, he says something else. He says um. You come to me for justice, but not my friendship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so apparently friendship and justice in that scene is linked together. Yeah. Yeah. In his view. And at first I thought he's he's just using him. Like I'm gonna use you for something later because I'm gonna give you this Exactly. Yes. So Don Cleone is in, in control. His idea of justice is just control, it's yeah. self-preservation. Yeah. I right. need to protect myself in yeah. this corrupt world. Yeah. Um and I'm gonna call that justice. Mm -hmm. And then I won't get vengeance later because I, I don't know, it, it's just things are getting out of control. Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. um, but no, there seems to be a link between that, those issues. So you, you, you must call me friend first before we can interact. Yeah. And I thought that was cool. Well, and I think one of the essential like themes that's really established in that first scene, and it didn't, I didn't catch it on the first couple watches, but as I've thought about it and kind of read some stuff, it's kind of become more clear. This is a story where the American way fails. That's kind of why this is, a lot of people talk about this as an American film. Is the American because, way Michael's way? Well, I would say it is in a sense, but even the in the opening scene you described where you have the guy that comes to him and says, I came to this, sorry, I came to this country and this is what my life okay, is like, yeah. right? But then I get here and guess what happens? This Definitely. terrible thing to my daughter. Yeah. And guess what? America didn't come through for me, right? And so now I'm turning to you. I'm turning to the mob, the mafia, right? And it's very much that the American way, when it fails, it puts you in this place of desperation. It also where do you, seems where do you like turn? a sense of entitlement. You come here mm -hmm. and you think things are supposed to be given to you. Think yes. these things. Mm -hmm. And then when something doesn't, isn't given to you, you complain and then you go to something that is worse. And that you 
probably should be going to. And you still think that things are supposed to go the way. Mm -hmm, Yeah. mm -hmm. It's just, it's just interesting. I think this is so morally like gray because the American way to me in this movie is Don Corleone and the family. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. 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 you're Italian. <laughs> we don't speak Nick. <laughs> I think that's the irony, though. I'm going right? back to my roots. Is <laughs> I do, I, I do think the you film is contrasting these two different ways. But you're right. I do think that that's where the lines blur, yeah. and that's why I think everything that Michael becomes is perfectly rationalized mm-hmm. in his mind, mm-hmm. right? He finds a way to fit it all in with his perspective and his worldview, you know, because he, Michael is a very loyal person. Yeah, He's very loyal, but that loyalty becomes channeled more and more into a central focus of his own family to the point where just like his father, he's willing to do anything, yeah. right? To preserve and protect that. That definitely seems like the American way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Preserve what you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm coming for you. <laughs> hop in there, Kyle. Yeah. Hop, you're, hop in. I know you got it, Kyle. But it's the, that first scene is it establishes everything. It establishes a code of ethics. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you have a scene that establishes a a good versus bad. Even in this world, mm-hmm. you're establishing a better bad. Mm-hmm. Right. So Jordan Don Corleone and the Corleone family represent the best version of bad. Yeah. Mm. They aren't good. Mm-hmm. Right. But the thing that we and anyone watching the movie can understand is that he needs mm-hmm. kindness. Mm-hmm. He needs respect. But mm-hmm. he will always be generous, thoughtful, and loving. Yeah. Right. These are all things that anyone can understand. So yeah. he's not saying to the guy that comes to him, if you don't call me friend, I'm going to kill you. He literally mm-hmm. allows him multiple opportunities to call him friend. Yeah. And when he does, he immediately offers him a hug. Right. He does. It's not mm-hmm. took you long enough. Yeah. It's you're my friend. Mm-hmm. And I can't turn this down on the day of my daughter's wedding because yeah. I have a code of ethics. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I believe in this code of ethics. So you can understand how within this world, somebody yeah. like Michael Corleone ends up being actually good within right. the structure. Right. Because you also learn partway through the movie that what Don wanted is for Michael to not be a part of it. Yes, that's so right. So he is fulfilling what his father wanted of him. Yeah. And what we see throughout the movie is the code of ethics that are established not work. Mm-hmm. They they systematically get chipped away as the movie goes on. Yeah. Michael holds on to him as hard as he can, but the things that he mm-hmm. cannot give up is the protection and love of family. Yeah. yeah. And through protecting and loving his family, he loses his soul, mm-hmm. which is a conundrum that is easy to understand because you understand why he does what he does, because who would not protect his unprotected father in a hospital when somebody's yeah. trying to kill him? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then from there want justice on the people who are trying to kill your father. Right. To go so far as to be the only person that could actually kill these two people yeah. in this deli. Yeah. Right. And then escape and try to escape it, but then have the hammer brought down on you. And what do you do when your brother and your wife are murdered? Mm-hmm. You return for justice. Yeah. How do you hold on to those values when these things continue to happen to you? It's almost as if in that opening scene, Kyle, and I know this is a screenwriter tactic, it foreshadows the entire movie. Because you have a guy who has this kind of tradition, we'll call it the traditional American way, right? And he comes and he says, this doesn't work. I need, I, this is the, the only thing I see possibly working. And that's the mafia way, right? That's Michael's whole journey in the film. Is like Michael realizing, 
as you said, everything's chipped away bit by bit to where Michael realizes this is the only way that actually gets things done. Because we, we made this joke when we were watching the movie, like when we were watching the beginning of the movie, like Michael's in a whole different movie. Like literally the scenes um, with him and Kay, right? Where they're like, it, yeah, it's Christmas time. And, yeah, they're going out on dates. Barbie for Oppenheimer. Yeah. <laughs> They're in a whole different movie, and you feel that, right? And it's not till his uh, father gets shot that Michael starts to become a part of the movie we're actually paying attention yeah. to, right? And it's interesting because even, like, the color schemes, like, especially with Kay, but even a little bit with Michael, in the beginning of the movie, their colors are so vibrant and distinct from everybody else. Like, if you go and watch and you pay attention, right? But Michael's colors become more and more dulled and muted in every suit that he's wearing, Even right? with Michael's, like, physical transformation, when yeah. he got punched in the face, yes. and he starts morphing, it looks like he's talking like his dad and looking mm -hmm. like his dad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, crazy. The, so, yeah. The, when I'm listening to Kyle, you were talking about Michael wanting justice. Mm -hmm. after the tragedies that he experienced, but yeah. that's more in line with revenge. And I don't think Don Corleone looked at justice that way because mm -hmm. he wouldn't kill um, the people that beat that guy's wife or daughter in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Michael and Don Corleone's ide ideologies are different. Even right. Don Corleone like, did a truth at the end, like, let's just yeah, drop let's put this. The blood yeah. Well, because there's oh. one thing Michael has that's different than the rest of his family. Is that what you're going to say? Um, is that he he was in the military. He's got a whole different perspective that no one else in his face. Like, he's literally been in a war. And not just any war, World War II, right? He has been in a war. And so that's why, like, unlike Sonny, his brother, who's very, like, brash, uh, yeah. harsh, reactionary, right? Michael's very cold and calculated. Yeah. And he can kind of see, like, and make decisions like, well, this is war. Mm. I know what war is, especially World War II. Yeah. I know what has to be done, right? Was that what you were going to... Well, I, I was going to say, because I think Nick is spot on, because uh, I agree that Michael is inadvertently going on this revenge journey. Mm -hmm. I think that for him, it's it's protection mm -hmm. for his father, who is mm -hmm. wronged. Mm -hmm. But what the, the, the guise that it comes in is revenge. And the reason you know that's not what Don Corleone wants is because when Don Corleone finds out that it's Michael who's the one who killed them, he cries. Yeah, yeah. That's how you know that's not what Don Corleone wanted for him. So he doesn't want him to go down this path. But when he chooses this path, he welcomes him. Mm -hmm. into the fold. Yeah. So, but I, I agree with Nick. It's like, it's, it's, he thinks it's justice, but it's yeah, not justice. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He's got it twisted. Even, and then I was even thinking um, of a question Nick asked a long time ago when we were at work. He was asked like, what is your sense? Like, what is fair? So in this, what is justice? Mm -hmm. Or what is even the right term of like, what is justice? And yeah. Well, for the guy in the beginning of the film, right? The, mm -hmm. If the guy in the beginning is going to Don Corleone, he's seeking justice. Is he seeking justice or is he kind of seeking vengeance, kind yeah. of like what Michael will eventually do, yeah. right? It's Everything is redefined. Yes. America is redefined. Justice mm -hmm. is redefined. Family is redefined. Mm -hmm. Protection is redefined. And it's also interesting that to the point you brought up, when he says, I'm not going to do drugs, we applaud him even though he has murdered, murdered multiple people, yeah. people yeah. throughout this movie. Yes. Because we're redefining what's not good. At least not giving well, drugs to kids. Well, <laughs> the reason why he's not doing that is because it's uncontrollable and he knows it. Yeah. He doesn't want to. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's um, 
like invading on his control of right. his mm-hmm. life. And he's right. like, no, I don't want any part of this. Yeah. You guys are not seeing this clearly. So Yeah, that's fair. It's still business yeah. instead of anything of what what is Don Corleone's um like main purpose? Like so Michael is vengeance. It's mm-hmm. very clear that Michael is like cold hearted, mm-hmm. yeah. n- like dominate New York, kill all the heads of the family at the end. But Don Corleone was never that. Yeah. yeah. He was m- much more compassionate. So is he like the father? Well, I know he is the father, but it's still He's like, like order. I feel like Corleone is just like the representation of order in a corrupt world. Yeah. Even though he is corrupt. Chaotic order. Yeah. 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 Like this order doesn't work. I'm going to make my own that's going to be my what I feel is the best. He stayed in his own square. <laughs> Well, this is a brilliant screenwriting tactic, right, Kyle? Because uh, by showing Don Corleone, even though, like, you know, people die under him and lots of... I mean, like, the horse scene is a great introduction to how threatening and menacing he could be, right? By giving him some morals, right, it makes Michael's fall all the more tragic because Michael looks way worse by the end of the film than his father ever did, right? And so it's like... There's there's that again, you're redrawing the lines, but it also like it I mean, Michael's fall has to be like one of the hardest falls like I've ever seen in a film. Also one of the most Anakin. understandable, which yeah. is why the movie functions so well. Yeah. Right. Well, how crazy it is that in the the Italy scene, right? That whole middle segment of the movie when he goes off to Italy and he kind of tries to start a new life, but you kind of see that he's still got a little bit of that godfather emerging in him, right? Sees this girl, he thinks is pretty. And then he's like, goes to her. Yeah, I love that it's reveal that it's yeah. her father, right? Yeah. I mean, I, oh man, imagine like, you know, some guy's like talking about your your daughter right in front of you. His right? way out of it. Yeah, but yeah, and, and, and he's, he's just like, he's just like, you know, I'm, smoothly. I have a lot of, lot of people, you know, that I, that would pay for that information, pay good money. And he's, and then he's kind of like, would you rather have your daughter lose a father or gain a son? I was yeah. just like, dang. Yeah. So he's already got that in him, right? So he can't get away from it. Even though there's a sense that maybe he's trying to, he's trying to just, you know, get married and kind of have a really casual life out in the country. But it's ironic because he's like getting connected with his like roots, like his yeah. Italian roots. He went up and he was you like, know? I like you and I want you. That's right. The easy That's way right. The hard way. But he doesn't realize he's actually getting in touch with his family roots, which I'm assuming that's what the second movie dives into more is kind of how that plays out, right? But I think that's so interesting that he can't run away from it. And then that moment when, you know, he's betrayed, the car blows up, that's like the last chance. Like that's, you're watching the last chance he has at any sort of decent, normal life it's blow up. Yep. But then you there's you, no turning back. But you say his family roots, but kind of like what Nick was saying, like that really wasn't his dad's style. So it's kind of an even twisted version yep. of what oh, his absolutely. roots are. Absolutely. Joe, lead, Joe, Nick, lead it, guys. Where else do you what else do you want to talk about? Well, well, I'll tell you my favorite my favorite part of the whole movie is in the beginning where they're taking the family picture at the wedding mm-hmm. and Don Corleone notices that Michael's not in the picture mm-hmm. and he just walks off. Yeah. And he doesn't say anything <laughs> to anybody. And no one asks, like, what's going on? He yeah. just goes, we're not taking this without Michael. And he goes and does something else. I, I just thought that that was like, like, I don't know if touching is the right word, but that was cool. Yeah. It was really cool. Like, like he loved Michael so much. Yeah. 
and he was so disappointed. And the next favorite part is when he finds out that Michael killed the cop. Yeah. And yeah. just like, like, he has a code of morality mm -hmm. in there. Um, and I feel like we're rooting, for, at least I feel like we're rooting for him the whole time in the mm -hmm. movie. Yeah. Like, is he the anti-hero? It's because when he got shot, I even like, was like, <gasps> yeah, no, I was like, no. So, so why, but why are we like that towards him? Like he's even, I feel like a protective figure to, like, yeah. to us as we're watching. Like he is the anchor to all of it. Like it's almost like he's the God figure. It's, yeah. Well, mm -hmm. because they yeah. don't show anyone with a higher sense of compassion than him. Yeah, like, yeah. They right. like in what you guys were saying, yeah. they set him as the law because they get out of all the characters, they give us more of something we relate to than any of them. Well, and, that's the big difference with the opening scene. Scene, right let's let's contrast this with the opening scene of inglorious bastards right where you're introduced <laughs> okay let's do it make that deal damn good deal damn good deal <laughs> i'll make you an offer you can't refuse hey donnie <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right so in the opening uh, of inglorious bastards right you've got you've got hans who's introduced right now here's the thing yeah. like well wait it's a conversation you know it's you don't know how it's gonna go but the fact that Hans like shows no mercy, we immediately in our minds go, yep, that's going to be our villain, you know, and we're set. The opening scene with the Godfather has a figure that with Don Corleone, if that opening scene was him just going like, you know what? Nope. Because you didn't show me compassion, bang, bang. Yeah. we would. I think yeah. we would view him very differently yeah. through the rest of the film. But because he's set up as this almost benevolent figure that can use power to, in a weird, twisted way, help people. And then this is repeated moment uh, a little while later, when even all the stuff with the horse, right, that's going on. We we know it's set up so well that he's just trying to help this guy land a part. So he's also helping somebody. And it didn't have to be They emphasize that over and over again, right? It didn't have to be Even that way. Even with the guy that um, was stuttering, that it, well, speaking of favorite parts, that's the guy that had to rehearse his lines. Yeah. Apparently, like he messed up, he messed up before, <laughs> and he was still able to come to the Godfather. He's like, oh, I'm so, I'm sorry about this. I'm like it's all right, bro. Yeah. And you have a job now. Yeah. Yeah. That was the hitman. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> There's something about the way he's set up, though, to where you, you you're okay. Like you're with him on it. He's the center of the universe. Yeah. And everyone at the wedding loves him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So no matter how we feel about him in regards to our understanding of justice, we know that everyone at this party loves him. Yeah. Everyone wants his respect. And even the most terrifying person, Luca Brasi, this massive hitman, yeah. mm -hmm. is stuttering <laughs> yeah. before, which is, I love that that is literally, <laughs> they did that ipso facto. They were like, mm -hmm. we got to write in the sequence of him rehearsing his speech because <laughs> the actor kept screwing up. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, so that's guts. They filmed that scene first with him and Marlon Brando, and he was just like, well, it's blah, blah. and so they wrote in those scenes where he's sitting rehearsing his speech. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Really good. Funny. How good oh, is that, right? And so, but the thing is, is that it functions beautifully for what we're saying, Francis yeah. Ford Coppola is smart enough to know mm -hmm. this is only going to double down what, what I'm saying about this world yeah. is that even the most terrifying figures look at him with love, mm -hmm. respect, he, the admiration of politicians, of other f figures that are fathers yeah. in their own crime families, well, you, plus uh, celebrities. Everyone loves him. His family loves him. He loves his sons, yeah. loves mm -hmm. his daughter. Love. It's literally a party filled with love. So we look at him, we're like, that's the center of our universe. Well, and you could tell once Michael comes into power, don't people don't look at Michael the same way they look at him. Mm -hmm. They all like 
treat him or see him a little differently. Some see him like, oh, we could take this guy out. Others like the casino guy are just like, he's just going to cuss him out right then and there. He's like, where's the Don? And, you know, so now it's interesting because there's another thing about his humanity that really comes out as well. So right for Don Corleone. So right before he shot, we see him like going to a market. To a na- to yeah. neighborhood market. To a neighborhood yeah. market just to get fruit, like an ordinary person, yeah. right? Yeah. And you see him just try to get some fruit and then bam, he shot. So I think also like that circumstance, it's not like he was doing a deal. It's not like he was doing anything shady. He was yeah. just living the way we would, right? And then that random act of violence, or supposedly random act of violence, there's something that we go like, ooh, that's... That's hard. He's, you know, even when he tries to be normal, like he can't get out, he can't escape it, right? Yeah. And then if you look forward to his last moments in the film, which I thought it was really funny, I caught this the last time we watched it, was that um, he gets shot, like right when he's like picking up fruit, like he gets shot. And then like he does the orange trick. And then that's when he collapses. I'm like, is this guy like, is fruit like, yeah. Fruit <laughs> Death like by citrus. Yeah. yeah, exactly, right? The bullets didn't kill him, the fruit. <laughs> but I think one of my favorite moments with Don Corleone and his humanity is with <laughs> Michael's son with his grandchild in the garden. He puts the, or- he does the funny orange thing. And then he like tries to run with everything he has, like just to try to play like a little game. And there's that sense that even though he's the godfather, He's really just their father. He's really their father, their grandfather. Ooh. Like that's what's more important to him. And that's, he's become the godfather, yes. right? So that he can be in his eyes, the best kind of father he can be. This type of connection. Okay, let's think about this. So you just talked about the garden with the with the ch- uh, the grandchild and yeah. then the godfather. So in after the godfather dies, in a sense, violence and rage is mm-hmm. put into the world. So God has died in this world right. because this world is fallen. Yeah. And now be, the result of that is just violence, fear, and mm-hmm. this is reigning supreme. And that's good. Lack of order. Yeah, it's a yeah. lack of order. Well, that's that's, that's actually okay. the, yeah, the okay, reason that functions so well is that Don Corleone is the literal only character that does not change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, despite oh, everything wow. that it's, happens to him, yep. he's shot, he's in the hospital, mm-hmm. he lives the same way he dies, loving mm-hmm. family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Nothing changes. That, right. that scene when he's talking to the other fathers of the crime families, the yeah. other heads of the families, he's coming in there and he's just like, look, you killed my son, I killed mm-hmm. yours, you shot me, yeah. I still love you. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. he has not changed his perspective on the world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Once the unmovable thing is gone, mm-hmm. it's, it's chaos. Yeah. Yep. There's no yeah. structure to the universe. Wow. Yeah, that's it right there. We're sprinkling on that. <laughs> Another thing that I think helps uh pull pull us into seeing him as the 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 guideline for justice is well, empathy, we put that as they, the writers use empathy to mm-hmm. make us say, okay, we're rooting for that guy now. And that's what you're saying. Yeah. We find someone, who are we rooting for? Whose side are we on? Mm-hmm. Another thing that I thought was cool is that they showed him fatigued in the beginning. Like it's mm-hmm. his daughter's wedding. And after everyone, he's like, oh, yep, of course, thank you. And then he just looks away and he's just exhausted. Mm-hmm. Or, and people are just coming to him because they want something or they need something. And it's his daughter's getting married. Mm-hmm. So the empathy of seeing this man exhausted and maybe feel like he was used, we go, man, okay, I see myself. And it just yeah. further yeah. Um, pulls that in. In fact, I another thing I wanted to add that I, I was thinking of, 
when we were talking about justice and his code of ethics, he even says that he's not going to murder the guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 He's like, it wouldn't that's, be justice. Yeah. He, he literally says it wouldn't be justice. So justice is on his mind. I just mm-hmm. thought that was a cool tidbit to add. But yeah. It's, it's also really cool in regards to that, too, because there are two sacred events that are bookends to the movie. You have a wedding, and then you have the baptism of the God. Oh, yeah. We, yeah. we need to talk about the baptism. And the thing that's interesting is that Don Corleone, Vito Corleone, would not do anything to besmirch a sacred event. Mm-hmm. Right? Everything he does in that is loving, yeah. caring, supportive, thoughtful. Mm. I'm not going to have that BS here. Mm. You know, the guys come to take photos like, get out of here, get out of here. No, no, no. Nothing's going to ruin this day. Yeah. What does Michael do mm-hmm. as he becomes father? Yeah. Kills Vain, multiple Vain's people. Vain's the baptism. Yeah, bro. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a baptism. In, it's, a ba- it's, <laughs> it's a baptism in blood, right? Yeah. I think that's the contrast you see there is like, because it's a double godfather, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Michael is becoming a literal godfather to this child but he's also becoming the godfather of the he's he's taking his father's role but it's not going to be the same benevolent figure right this is a person who stands at the altar and says that he renounces the way of satan while giving in to the ways of satan right like he becomes it's almost as if because if we do see don corleone as kind of like this god figure we see michael corleone as the opposite of that. It's yeah. almost satanic figure that's come into power. And to the to the point where in in, in uh, Lucifer, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, Luciferian, right? Yeah. And it's the moment where he gains everything. He gains the world and he forfeits his soul mm-hmm. in that very moment. Literally seeing him like at the end of the movie, like with his um with his wife, it was just kind of it's just like, dude, like this of is course not, not. Yeah, it's not how you used to be. Even in his like quick rage moment, it's like you weren't like that in the beginning, and mm-hmm. and literally just lying to her face. Well, yeah. that that's the thing I think is really cool is the lying specifically because uh, I saw this really amazing breakdown. I wish I could uh, shout out to the person who did this, but they say that Michael Corleone has five traits at the beginning of the movie that are all admirable. Mm. And I think I've seen movie, this breakdown. And throughout the movie, each one of them is taken away. Yes. The last vestige that he holds on to is honesty mm-hmm. until the moment he lies to his wife. Wow. And the moment he does, mm. somebody walks up and says, Don Corleone. And then the door yep. is shut. Yep. Wow. So it's it's he it's it's crazy too because mm-hmm. after the baptism he still does terrible acts of violence yeah. after that mm-hmm. and then he still lies to his wife yeah which and to it, me is the greatest fault of his yeah. right is that moment where he could have been honest he could have said yeah because you also well, know that Vito Corleone did not lie to his wife yeah she right. knew what was she going knew, on. Yeah, she knew everything yeah. well and there's there's a savageness <laughs> too to that because that, there's also the fact that Michael. Michael technically didn't kill him, right? So just to give context here, we're talking about his sister and we find out that his sister, um, that's the wedding in the beginning of the movie. But then, of course, we find out that the person that that she's married, Carlo, right? He's... Yeah, he's he's an abusive jerk. I would say and, Don Tomato first. Yeah, Michael and, him and Don Corleone looks like a saint in comparison, right? So... The thing with Carlo was that that's kind of the loose end is like when Sonny is set up, because Sonny's the only one who knows what's going on. But then when Sonny's set up, Carlo sells him out and Sonny. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so Sonny gets killed. And then it looks like he goes under the radar. I think one of you guys even brought that up when we were watching the film is like, wait a minute, like he's still a part of everything. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, you know that Michael knows. Michael has that conversation with him. It's very much like, I'm going to send you on a plane, 
get to Vegas, right? And and leave all that. So technically, for those who were all witnesses there, Michael just was trying to help. He he looked like he was a benevolent figure like his father, right? And then into everyone's eyes, that's what they saw. But then, of course, Michael sits back and he has somebody else that does the dirty work. Carmenza. Carmenza. Who, who left the family and now is back. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yep. Yeah. He comes oh, yeah. and he that. and he does the the deed, right? And so, of course, when he's confronted, did you kill him? Technically, no, he didn't. So that's why it's like it's like a weird loophole because there's a part of him that's trying to almost have this image like his father, but he's not. Well, it's to the point that Nick brought up earlier too, where it's what he says there, you know, they wouldn't be just, I'm not going to kill him because there wouldn't be justice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What Michael says at the end, I'm going to send you on a plane. That's what Vito would have actually done. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. But that's what the difference is, is that he is not a man of his word like his yeah. father was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and there's a line too that the, one of the last lines Don Corleone says before he dies when he's talking to Michael in the garden is he says, um, I've spent my whole life trying to not be careless. And I think in Michael's mind, the way he interprets that as, well, I got to take out these five families then. I don't want to be careless, right? It's interesting because that's kind of his last words to his son. And you see that Michael does take that to heart, but in a completely different way than his father does. Yeah. And I'm thinking now, like, that's why they went two separate different ways is what was the genesis for their sense of justice? Mm -hmm. And if Don Corleone's was love or, hey, there needs to be a sense of order, Michael's we see was vengeance. Mm -hmm. And even though they sought justice, their idea of it changed based on where it came from. Yeah. And their motive. Do they show that in the mm -hmm. second one? They probably do a little bit. Well, yeah. the, the the second one is a prequel, yeah. technically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. really? See, because I was even thinking of the generational difference because Michael was technically brought up, like he literally went to war. He's brought up in that war time. This is mm -hmm. what the mob looks like. This is what like the your life is. People just drop and die <laughs> and end up disappearing in, in, in a, a nick of day. But with the um, with Don, I'm pretty sure he grew up with that. We have to trust each other to actually build up this organization mm -hmm. and build up to where we are now. So it's kind of, yeah. yeah, it builds them. Yeah. Your environment builds you. Mm -hmm. Michael was trying to let that not come back out, and it came back out. Yeah, that yeah. dog came back out. Yeah, it's just got that dog in <laughs> yeah, that dog in him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, jeez. Well, any other thoughts on the Godfather? Any I love the wedding scene. I I love the fact that it was like 30 minutes. It was probably like half the movie, but it was <laughs> the best part, bro. It was. Yeah. The opening scene is so good. I love it. I was talking to Kyle at work. My last thought is that it's not it's really not a crime movie. It's a family movie. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, a movie yeah, about family. That's fair. Set, it's a Christmas movie. Set, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we have Listen, to cut this part. Godfather out is everything. It's, it's a, a family drama yeah. Yeah. set in a crime like background that's fair rather than that's a crime movie fair. set within a family yeah um, absolutely it's just the best parts are seeing brando with his sons and mm -hmm. how different they are and how he treats them all differently brando is the best part of this movie yeah. oh yeah it's unbelievable yeah yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's a stacked cast, right? It really, and it's Sterling I, Hayden as McCluskey. It's like one of the OG, like amazing character actors from mm -hmm. from decades before then. I mean, and just imagine Sterling Hayden in uh, The Killing, Stanley Kubrick's first, mm -hmm. the second feature length movie. I yeah. mean, like unbelievable cast. Yeah, it is. And a lot of those people, I think, were fairly newer, right? 
Yeah. Like to like at that time, like James I know Khan and Robert Duvall, I think it was their first leading roles. Robert Duvall's first movie was To Kill a Mockingbird. Right. Boo Radley, like five years right. prior. Right. Fun fact about Robert Duvall, by the way, I met Robert Duvall oh, at the Breakers. <laughs> hey. Uh, that's another aspect to to the uh Don Corleone. Because Robert Duvall in the movie is adopted into the family. Mm -hmm. so yeah, just that's right. There's a benevolence, yeah, that he has there. Absolutely. I have two small things because that reminds me of the consigliere thing. Because that's the huge thing. Tom Hagen's character being tossed out as the consigliere because yeah. he's not a wartime consigliere. Yeah. That's the huge difference too is mm. that the, the Vito would never not have Tom by his right side. Right. He but, believes it's a time of peace. Yeah. But they, they make that decision together at the end. They yes. do. He backs up his son. And is he just backing up his son to back up his son? Or I feel like it's more backing up his son to back up his son. I don't... Yes. Yeah. I don't yeah. even feel it like... It doesn't feel right. Because yeah. he says... Because yeah. remember, people come to Vito after yeah. that and they're like, what are you going to do? And he's like... Michael's in charge now. Yeah. It feels like he's like, I've, I'm passing the baton mm -hmm. now. Well, it's interesting too, because Tom plays an interesting role in the family, right? Because he's kind yeah, of like know. this executioner yeah. of what Don Corleone wants. Because uh -huh. we don't really see Don Corleone like get his hands dirty. Like it's really Tom that goes out there and really ex, but Don's also like a, or sorry, Tom is also a lawyer, right? Mm -hmm. Which is interesting he because- He's official, that's why he feels yeah. like good. Yeah, yeah. so he that's why- Nothing's personal, everything's business. Yes, which exactly. is fascinating, he's like, that's his problem with Sonny. Was yeah. like, this isn't personal, this is business. And he's yeah. like, you shot my dad, of course it's personal. Oh, yeah. Everything's personal. Yeah. Well, yeah. I wonder if that conversation is something that Michael reflected on when he decided to let him go, right? Because I think for Michael, he does take it all personal. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like that that brings me to like one of my, my actual favorite moment in the whole movie uh -huh. is when he's sitting down with McCluskey and um Salerno, Salerzo, sorry, the uh, the guys he kills in the yeah. in the restaurant. Oh yeah. He comes back with the gun. Mm -hmm. Right before he goes, I forget who it was that says to him, I think it's Sonny. He says, You come out of that bathroom, you come out guns blazing. Mm -hmm. What does he do instead? He, he sits down. He sits down. Yeah. He takes a second. That's the moment where Michael changes. Mm -hmm. And it's this long moment where it pauses as he, you see him from behind. He's yeah. shrouded in black. Mm -hmm. There's these two guys flanking him in the shot. They turn and look at him. And in that moment, you're imagining what Sonny wanted. Shoot yeah. him right now. What does he do instead? Sits down. And we are asking, what would we do? Yeah. And that's the moment of the movie where you're like, what would I do? Yeah. Is he going to do it? Is he going to shoot him? What's going to yeah. happen? And he takes it and you just watch his eyes go back and forth and then finally picks yeah. it up. Bang, bang. Yep. From that moment on, Michael is a different person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The train's yep. in the background screeching and his yeah. whole psyche is just splitting in. Yeah. So right. good. Sound design in that movie is yeah. perfect. There's an interesting thing about trains in both the movies we're talking about. Um, we'll get there. That actually should be a good transition. Train. A train? Though there sure is a train. There sure is. Wait, Jay, how am I forgetting that? Let's, let's transition, all right? Wait, hold on, hold on. I, want, I have one thought. Yeah, one more thought on Godfather. And because I I watched both of these. Well, mostly No Country for Old Men. And one question I was thinking of is, what is going through their mind in terms of justification? And I'm thinking about the christening scene. Mm -hmm. um, and it's crazy that he actually murdered... The f the father that of the kid that he was godfather too. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um. But what is he thinking about as he's like accepting that oath? Is his mind go? It's like he, he's saying it, but he's actually knowing that he's crossing over and 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 doing the works of the devil, or is he convinced in his mind mm -hmm. 
that he's speaking truthfully. I think I th I think that's there. And I think that's the the deception that he's under there. Because if you think about like to get like theological for a moment, and I don't know where you stand theologically on this, but like my perspective is like with the devil, like the devil doesn't actually do much as a as a figure. It's actually other people that are executing the devil's will on his behalf, right? And so that's kind of what Michael is is doing, is he is having all these people go and take down the five families, right? Mm -hmm. He's having them do the dirty work. He's having them do it. So in his eyes, he's able to take that and take that oath and kind of be like, yeah, I'm, well, I'm not doing it. Well, he, well, but ironically, he is the yeah. works of Satan, right? He, ironically, he is, he's not only participating in it, he's the spearhead, becoming the spearhead for it now. Yeah, the sin is from being captive to the desires of his hearts, which mm -hmm. are for... Rage. Like one is, yeah, rage and anger and vengeance, but like also the protection of his family in a perverted way of just right. the way he's doing it. Um, but I've just wondered, like, how has he justified this in his mind? Is he lying, like, deliberately and he knows that he's he's doing the works of the devil? Or does he really think that he's clean hands on this? Like, he's doing what's right and what needed to be done. Yeah. All right, that's just about going to do it for our analysis of The Godfather. Oh, that's such a good film. There's so much to dig into. There are so many layers. And so we're going to go ahead and end this episode here. And we'd like to invite you to join us back here in two weeks from now, where we will continue this episode with our analysis of No Country for Old Men. And we will conclude our section on the crime film genre. And so thank you so much for joining us here for All Things Narrative. Don't forget to check allthingsnarrative.com out and you can learn more about the different things that we do, including our coaching, workshops, classes. We got lots of fun stuff we're gearing up for with the fall. So feel free to check us out there. Get a free consultation. Talk about how we can be your guide towards telling and living a meaningful story. This is your friendly narrative practitioner, Derek, signing off saying thank you so much. And until next time, take care.